Welcome to FYI, the four-year innovation podcast. This show offers an intellectual discussion on technologically enabled disruption, because investing in innovation starts with understanding it. To learn more, visit arc-invest.com. Arc Invest is a registered investment advisor focused on investing in disruptive innovation. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. It does not constitute either explicitly or implicitly any provision of services or products by Arc. All statements made regarding companies or securities are strictly beliefs and points of view held by Arc or podcast guests and are not endorsements or recommendations by Arc to buy, sell, or hold any security. Clients of Arc Investment Management may maintain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to FYI, the For Your Innovation podcast. I'm Michael Cromer, a product marketing manager here at ARC. On today's episode of FYI, we will be featuring last week's episode of In the Know, a monthly video series in which ARC CEO and CIO Kathy Wood discusses fiscal policy, monetary policy, economic and market indicators, and innovation. On this specific episode, Kathy Wood weighs in on artificial intelligence, Bitcoin, Fed policy, electric vehicles, the discrepancy between GDP and GDI, bankruptcies, and the German and Chinese economies. Please enjoy. Greetings, everyone. Uh, this is Employment Friday. Uh, I'm Kathy Wood from ARK Invest. Uh, and this is going to be a little uh, bit of a quicker uh, dive into what has gone on in the last month uh, because I'm going to a wedding and it happens to be very early in the afternoon. Uh, so um, uh, please bear with me. It's going to be quick um, but to the point. Uh, so fiscal policy. Uh, as usual, we'll go through fiscal policy, monetary policy, economic indicators, market indicators, and then a little bit about uh, innovation and particularly some of the nuances in the equity markets around innovation today. Uh, so fiscal policy to start. Um, we are heading into the uh, election year campaign season. And so what that means is we're probably going to experience gridlock, which is a good thing. It's, uh, it means there will be little to roil the markets, we think, during the next year from a fiscal policy point of view. So that's good. Monetary policy, we still have the Fed, interestingly, uh, not mentioning money supply at all. Money supply is down roughly 5% on a year-over-year basis. Haven't heard a word out of the Fed on it. Maybe you have, but I haven't. Um, uh, it is still very focused on, this, on inflation and uh, employment. Now, employment, we had so many indicators in the last, in the last week or so uh, that uh, there was something for everyone, bulls and bears. Uh, so today uh, we got the non-farm payroll. It was below expectations at uh, 209,000. Expectations were 230. But the important point was downward revisions, 110,000 uh, jobs revised away uh, over the last few months. So that made this quite a weak report from an employment point of view. Uh, but if you looked at average hourly earnings, they were a little better than expected. The Fed may not have liked that. Uh, and average work week was a little better than expected. So 
those probably all netted out to something uh, a little weaker, not a lot weaker than expected. Uh, now, we got all kinds of indicators. We got the uh, ADP on Wednesday employment, which was almost 500,000. And uh, of course, that roiled the market. Uh, in today's report, household employment, as you know, we focus on that because it captures more of the small businesses uh, that are very important at turning points uh, in, in terms of a leading indicator. Uh, last, last month, those jobs were down, negative, uh, 310,000. But this month, they bounced back, not all the way, but 273. Uh, in the report today, uh, temporary employment was very weak, very, very weak. Um, I rarely see it that week, so I, I took note of that. And we also got uh, the job openings report this week and the number of job openings dropped by about 500,000. So again, as I said, something for everyone, including the Fed. The Fed uh, seems to want to pay attention to the stronger numbers. So uh, uh, that is the employment side. On the inflation side, uh, we, we see uh, a year ago uh, the commodity prices started falling pretty precipitously. And so now we're coming up uh, against uh, the comparison against that drop. Uh, so commodity prices, which had been down on a year-over-year -year basis uh, by 20 to 30 percent, uh, um, are now down roughly 12 percent. Uh, so, again, we're comparing against declines last year. Now, if you look at uh, the Bloomberg Commodity uh, Price Index, it is still in a downtrend. Uh, so that is a leading indicator for inf inflation. The PPI reported uh, this past month uh, was up 1.1% on a year-over-year -year basis. So the Fed has a 2% target on a year-over-year -year basis. We've got two leading indicators that are well below that, commodity prices and the PPI, up only 1.1. If you look at the retail sales deflator, this is a number you kind of have to back into, and not many people pay attention to it, uh, but it, it does belong to the retail sales report, which is a little more goods-oriented than services-oriented, but that is up only 0.2% on a year-over-year -year basis. And that is a consumer inflation measure. We do have the CPI. Uh, the last print uh, was 0.1% uh, month to month, so very good, well behaved month to month, uh, but still up 4% on a year over year basis. Now, this next month, so for June, and this report I think will be out next week, um, the comparison against a year ago was month to month, the CPI from May to June a year ago went up 1.2%. So if we uh, see the, the uh, CPI up only 0.2% this month, month to month, uh, then we will be dropping off a full percentage point, and that will take the year over year down from 4% to 3%. I know that's uh, maybe a, a, a lot to uh, uh, to digest right now, but it's the comparison against a very big increase last year that gets us down from 4% on a year-over-year -year basis, which was reported for May for the CPI, down to 3% in one month. 
so, and, and if perchance it's lower than 0.2, then we will be dropping in to uh, the 2% territory, maybe 2.8 or 2.9%. Um, if you exclude shelter from the CPI last month, uh, you'll see that it was up 2.2%. Now, that was the CPIX shelter, up 2.2%. Why do we pay attention to that? Shelter is the biggest lagging indicator in the uh, CPI. And if you look at, if you look at um, online indicators, which are day by day, um, you'll see that rents are beginning to fall uh, on a year-over-year -year basis in many parts of the U.S., and perhaps, perhaps it's flat overall uh, for the nation. So, so that's pretty interesting. And um, there's another metric out there called trueflation. It's, um, it, it takes into account 11 different data reading, 11, I mean, I'm sorry, 10 million uh, different data readings um, throughout the country. This is a U.S. measure. And on a year-over-year -year basis, it's measured daily. We can get this daily. You can find it online. On a year-over-year -year basis, it is 2.2% on a so, so the Fed has a, a lot of evidence that inflation is slowing. And yet, uh, you hear out of the last meeting, unanimous, an increase, uh, or it was flat uh, in, in the last uh, go-around but that the feeling was we will be seeing further increases in the months ahead in the Fed funds rate because of inflation. Uh, so I don't know how they're getting to this unanimous uh, vote. I think um, uh, Goolsby, Austin Goolsby, who's the latest uh, member, he's, he's uh, stirring the pot a little bit, but not willing to go uh, against the chairman when it comes to the final vote. Okay, so, so, so that's inflation and employment, which is what the Fed seems to care about, and both of the metrics they use are lagging indicators, uh, which really makes no sense to me. Our confidence that we're moving into a deflationary environment is increasing by the month, uh, especially because the Fed uh, is railing against inflation uh, when it is already coming down quite significantly. You know, it's interesting to listen to reports like Costco's and, and Home Depot's. Costco's basically saying, okay, we're going to have to clear inventory by cutting prices. They just come right out and say it, uh, but the Fed's not uh, incorporating those sorts of variables in, into its analysis. Now, just the backdrop, though, uh, away from these numbers, uh, we're seeing rising bankruptcies. And a lot of the reason for this is because a lot of businesses um, take loans out on a floating rate basis. In fact, those are the only kinds of loans they can get. And uh, the rates have gone up so much, 21-fold uh, if you look at the Fed funds rate in um, in, in a little more than a year, and you know, a lot of businesses just cannot afford these uh, uh, these loans anymore, and and you're seeing the same with commercial real estate. Strategic defaults, left, right, and center, just can't put up with the the interest rate increases and the empty office uh, buildings. One of my dear friends, a, a doctor in one of the best parts of New York City, Madison Avenue, Midtown. Um, she's being evicted, and it, so is everyone else in the building because it's only half full. And this used to be prime 
uh, property. Maybe that's too New York specific, but I wouldn't be surprised to see the same thing happening in many other big cities around the world, maybe even the smaller ones, given the regional bank uh, issues out there. Uh, where else would we expect to see issues having to do with this massive increase in interest rates in such a short period of time? Well, we're learning now that in the, the private equity world, where you see a, a lot of uh, uh, collateralized loans, that there were $3 trillion. This, was, this is as of last August, but by that time, the Fed had already been jacking interest rates up by 75 basis points at a clip. $3 trillion in adjustable rate, unhedged loans of that sort. So I think underneath the surface out there, we're not hearing a lot about this, um, but that there is a lot of pain. And, uh, and we also see that, um, that the KRE, which is the regional bank index, is just wallowing around where it was roughly during the regional bank crisis earlier this year. So no real recovery there either. And of course, one of the reasons is the biggest lenders to commercial real estate uh, these days uh, are not the big banks. Uh, they're not allowed to allocate uh, that or allocate that much risk to commercial real estate, but the regional banks. Uh, so we believe they are in uh, quite quite a bit of um, uh, quite a bit of uh, uh, under some stress. Uh, and that will continue if rates can continue to move up because the incentive to move to money market funds or government-backed funds is only going to increase. Um, I think uh, when the Fed will shift its spots is um, when companies start responding to margin pressures um, as consumers start saying, we are not paying higher prices. And we're seeing that more and more Costco's report was a, a very good case in point. And at that point, margins will start to come down, uh, and, and they've already started coming down. If you look at um, uh, corporate profits, the, the corporate profits measure in the GDP accounts, which is, um, it's called uh, after-tax corporate profits adjusted for IVA and CCA. Those profits have already started rolling over. So companies are already beginning to feel a little bit of heat. Uh, we think that will intensify going forward and that as a result, companies that have been hoarding labor, it had been very hard to get over a long period of time, hoarding labor, are, um, are probably going to let some of those uh, employees go. Um, so now on to economic indicators. Um, it's interesting to look at the GDP revisions for the first quarter. Uh, the revision was up, I think it was from 1.3% to 2%. That's a quarter to quarter at an annual rate number. Now that's the GDP, that's gross domestic product. Now there's an identity out there, um, which is gross domestic product equals gross domestic income. Gross domestic product is the production of goods and services in any given period of time. Gross domestic income is what it says. It's profits and income reported to the IRS. Uh, those two are disagreeing with one another right now. On a year-over-year -year basis, I believe G a real GDP, I just gave you the sequential number, which was up to 2%, but on a year-over-year -year basis, I think it's up 2.8%. 
But gross domestic income, and this is real as well, taking out inflation, is down 0.8%. Uh, we have never seen that big of a discrepancy. And if you ask me which one I trust more, it is income because uh, you can measure that. The IRS measures it very carefully, as we all know. Um, so uh, uh, really paying uh, attention to that one. And uh, we're also seeing leading indicators uh, have declined 14 months in a row. Now, I remember in the day when this measure of leading indicators was down for three consecutive months, uh, the conclusion uh, most economists would draw is that the economy is going into a recession. Well, now we're 14 months into it. And uh, we do believe uh, we'll see a, a recession, a little bit of a harder landing, as I've mentioned on many of these. M2 uh, uh, down 5% on a year-over-year -year basis. Haven't seen that since uh, the 1930s. And we do think velocity is starting to slow down. The velocity of money, the rate at which money turns over, um, uh, because of the regional bank crisis and the concerns, wait, what's going on here? Uh, and, and because uh, money is shifting from bank accounts into money market funds, uh, and the velocity associated with those is uh, much, much slower. Uh, I, I, I wanted to feature some of the stronger than expected before we go into weaker than expected. Um, housing and autos, interestingly, uh, um, delivered some surprisingly strong statistics. Um, we're, we, so, we see pending home sales down 21% on a year-over-year -year basis. That sounds very weak, and it is. But one of the reasons is people are trapped in their existing homes by their current mortgage rates, which are very low compared to today's. Uh, and so we're seeing uh, new home sales um, is where a lot of action is taking place. New home sales uh, were up 12% month to month uh, in the month of May, I believe that was. Um, and housing starts were up uh, to 1.6 million from 1.34 the previous month. That's an annualized number. Uh, so the, the new home uh, sales are where a lot of the action uh, seems to be going these days. Autos uh, came in a little higher than we expected. Last month was 15 this million units at an annual rate. This month was 15.68 million units at an annual rate. Um, you know, what we see going on in the auto sector, this, this uh, dramatic shift towards electric vehicles, uh, we believe is starting to put pressure on, um, on the auto manufacturers. They've reintroduced discounts. Remember, they were selling at premiums before. Reintroduced discounts, and uh, we think they're trying to move uh, their inventory as this consumer preference shift towards electric uh, gathers momentum. So that could be one reason. Uh, for this. The other uh, variable that was uh, on the stronger side was durable goods orders, non-defense capital goods orders, ex-aircraft is a, a very good indication of capital spending, and we do think two things are going on there. One is the, the excitement around artificial intelligence has captured 
you know, consumers and businesses' imaginations. Um, but there's also an imperative he here, you know, if your competition embraces this new technology which can help you increase productivity and decrease costs, um, you're going to be in trouble. So a little bit of a, a, um, a land rush there. And also uh, there is the reshoring uh, from, especially from China, taking place here in the United States. So those are two of those reasons, and, uh, and those are strong. But back to the leading indicators. The, the leading indicators um, are made up of 12 sub-indicators. So they are average workweek claims, uh, new orders for manufacturing, ISM new orders, uh, building permits, the S&P 500, the credit index, the yield curve, and um, consumer expectations as measured by the conference board. Now, those have all been negative for 15 months. And as I mentioned, um, if we don't head into recession, meaning declining activity, um, it will be uh, quite a big setback for this measure of leading indicators and may suggest that it is too... Um, more, too much focused on the industrial world and not enough focused on the digital world, uh, that could be the case. Um, nonetheless, they are negative, and a lot of the regression analyses that uh, I see from economists uh, are pointing towards negative GDP uh, sometime in the second half of this year uh, and into, and some are saying through, uh, 2024. This will get the Fed to change its spots. And the market, which had taken such a serious tumble last year, had seen this, we believe, and has discounted a lot of this. Maybe not all. There are some, uh, uh, there are some investors I know, uh, you know, moving back into more value-oriented strategies, which are more hostage to the cycle, figuring, oh, we're going to skip a recession. Um, I don't think that's going to be the case. I, I, I think that, uh, that um, companies that are comfortable have secular growth opportunities uh, that are recession-resistant. They won't escape a recession entirely, but recession-resistant, that they will continue to be rewarded. One of the things I also wanted to focus on this time around is the rest of the world. Germany, it seems, two negative quarters back-to-back, -back, recession. Uh, Germany and Europe in general are much more uh, dependent on China than the United States is. And we do believe that China is struggling mightily here uh, uh, under property and debt, and, and, and it stands to reason. China uh, entered the uh, World Trade Organization uh, uh, around the turn of the millennium, so around 2000 and had many, many years of double-digit growth and then high single-digit growth. Growth covers a lot of sins or bad behavior. Bad behavior might be taking on more debt, taking on more risk generally than um, companies and consumers should. And we do believe that that is what is going on right now, that um, the government is grappling with this and uh, trying to manage it. Uh, they don't want to ease too much, uh, 
because they're fearful of inflation expectations and, and continued speculation on property. Uh, and so uh, we think that's a, a real depressant on the world. Uh, now, going quickly through market indicators, S&P was up uh, nicely in June, uh, and so uh, a lot of that, as we've seen, um, uh, has been focused on the mega tech category, what people are calling the Magnificent Seven now. And, um, and they, some of them will, will be prime beneficiaries of this uh, excitement uh, about, and, um, and we believe there's, that the, the excitement is real and justified, about artificial intelligence. Um, uh, but um, we think that uh, there are other areas of the market besides the Magnificent Seven that will also benefit. And uh, I think our strategies, or, or some of our strategies, um, were a testimony to that in, in, in the first half of the year. You know, interestingly, um, in uh, our uh, broadest strategy, uh, we have 25% uh, in healthcare and uh, an overweighting relative to the, the broad based indices like uh, the QQQs or the NASDAQ 100, as, uh, as they are called. Um, so we're much more heavily weighted to small and mid-cap. And uh, to be able to have outperformed uh, the NASDAQ 100 in any of our strategies um, is, uh, is testimony, we think, to the return of active management. There are investors out there who do not religiously depend on uh, the broad-based indices, but are doing their homework and are saying and asking the question, who is really going to benefit from uh, this massive shift towards artificial intelligence, which is gaining so much momentum because AI training costs are dropping 70% per year. And uh, they're coming up with uh, good answers, we would say. This is what we do uh, all the time. And it's, it's nice to have the company again, if I might say. Um, Long-term interest rates, they moved up from uh, 364 today, 405. Interesting. We're getting a good test here. Uh, in March, uh, the 10-year Treasury bond yield peaked around 4.8 to 410. Uh, today, it's 405. Uh, in October before that, it, it uh, had a peak at 4.3. So lower highs, we are having a little bit of a test here. And uh, uh, we'd be surprised to see uh, long rates continue to, to move out um, uh, because of the weakness that we see evolving in the economy and because inflation's coming down. And because it could be negative, uh, which I think would shock a lot of people. Um, I was around, uh, did a roadshow in Europe last, uh, last week, and um, I asked the question, how many of you here are, are hearing forecasters talk about deflation? Nobody. Uh, maybe one hand went up and I said, I think you heard us talking about that. So uh, no one's talking about it, and our confidence is increasing that it will happen, that it won't be all bad. Innovation is deflationary. I just told you AI training costs are dropping 70% per year. 
that's, that's going to seep into many, many other costs and cause unit growth uh, to accelerate. Um, uh, the Bloomberg Commodity Price in Index, it moved up 3% in the uh, month of June, but is still in a downtrend. should have mentioned the yield curve is still inverted. It got more inverted uh, last month. It got to um, almost 110 basis points, which is uh, the inversion it reached right before the regional bank crisis. It's come off that a bit here. Uh, but we wouldn't be surprised to see if it's uh, signaling, you know, more crises, whether they're in the commercial real estate uh, market uh, or in the private equity market in a way that we don't understand right now. Uh, Bitcoin, uh, sort of the harbinger for, for uh, crypto, up 10%, good month. And, of course, there is the speculation about... Uh, uh, a potential approval of a Bitcoin ETF. Uh, that got people excited. Um, so, But the other thing we'd like to um, reiterate is we saw Bitcoin take off from 19,000 to 30,000 when the regional bank crisis uh, was uh, in full uh, force in March, April. And that told us that Bitcoin is a flight to safety currency. It's a hedge against inflation. It's a hedge against deflation. Deflation presents counter counterparty risk uh, counterparty risks uh, that uh, do not exist in the world of Bitcoin. Uh, and we think innovation broadly is going to become a flight to safety category. We think most investors are very short innovation. They may think they have it covered with the Magnificent Seven, as they're being called now. Um, but we do not think they do. In fact, uh, we think there's going to be some disruption to the Magnificent Seven, uh, and we can get into that in another time. And we've mentioned uh, ChatGPT as a real risk to search and Google's entire model. Uh, and uh, there are other risks in the what used to be called FANGs or now the Magnificent Se Seven, some of which is even competition uh, for the AI chip world. Um, we think that uh, autos have been a great case in point here. The shift towards electric is happening so much more quickly than I think the auto industry first expected and auto analysts expected that, um, that uh, many, many investors are on guard now thinking, okay, innovation, I'm going to take it uh, more seriously. And we think that AI is going to turbocharge the speed at which uh, these shifts take place. And so let's just talk about AI a bit. Um, we think there's going to be a lot of commoditization coming out of AI as you listened to uh, Frank Downing and, and uh, Will Summerlin on our last in the know. Uh, foundation models could be commoditized. Uh, and commoditization is great for companies who harness the AI that is being commoditized to increase their productivity, increase their efficiency, and lower their unit labor costs. So, so that's great. That could be a boon to the entire economy. Uh, but the companies who will really benefit disproportionately uh, are going to be those with visionary leaders, uh, um, broad-based distribution, and after those two, most importantly, proprietary data that no one else has. 
Uh, and so that's what we spend our time uh, focused on as we are thinking about AI. Um, we think this move into the megatechs uh, around AI has been more knee-jerk, and, uh, and it will sort itself out as more and more people do uh, the research. Uh, so with that, I'll close by saying, you know, innovation solves problems. We've said that since the beginning of COVID. That's when I started uh, doing uh, these uh, in-the-know videos. And I believe with the margin pressures that, uh, that corporations are going to face, they're going to have even more problems uh, moving forward. So innovation, AI, they're certainly going to make use of it. Innovation, as we saw with Bitcoin around regional uh, bank crisis, is a flight to safety. And one of the flights to safety that investors must consider is the traditional world order being disrupted magnificently by the five major innovation platforms around which we have centered our research, multi-omic sequencing, uh, robotics, uh, energy storage, artificial intelligence, and blockchain technology. And the convergence between and among those technologies is going to cause super exponential growth for some, but creative destruction for others. And so we believe in the next five to 10 years that uh, investors who are short true innovation, uh, truly disruptive innovation, uh, are going to start moving more and more into that space, um, allocating capital to its highest and best use. Uh, so with that, uh, I'd like to thank you and wish you a wonderful summer uh, month in, in July, and we will be talking to you again in August. Thank you. ARC believes that the information presented is accurate and was obtained from sources that ARC believes to be reliable. However, ARC does not guarantee the accuracy or completeness of any information, and such information may be subject to change without notice from ARC. Historical results are not indications of future results. Certain of the statements contained in this podcast may be statements of future expectations and other forward-looking statements that are based on ARC's current views and assumptions, and involve known and unknown risks and uncertainties that could cause actual results, performance, or events to differ materially from those expressed or implied in such statements.